Hey, everybody. I'm Maria Sansone, and you're listening to Mom to Mom, the podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. This one was really exciting for me because if you've been around since the beginning, you know that Mom to Mom started as a Facebook live, and then it evolved into a TV show and a podcast and all the things. But when the show first started, it was during the pandemic, and I was really just trying to connect with people and get some information and keep people company, so to speak. And one of my early guests was Dr. Pooja Lakshman. And it is so cool because today I got to reconnect with her. So much has happened to her in her life. She's a mom now. She has a book out. So much exciting stuff. And this is just one of those examples of, you know how sometimes the universe gives you exactly what you need in that moment? I was having a particularly kind of anxious day. Um, This doesn't happen to me too often, but sometimes I can just get like anxious and in my own head. And the universe sent me a board certified psychiatrist and Dr. Pooja Lakshman, which was wonderful. She specializes in women's mental health. She is the founder of Gemma, which is a digital platform that is specifically focused on women's mental health and equity. It's a place where people can just, where women can just be themselves and chat with other moms and things like that. And she's a new author. Like I said, her book is called Real Self-Care, a transformative program for redefining wellness, crystals, cleanses, and bubble baths not included. And that book comes out on March 14th. Today, we're really going to focus on self-care. And this is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And I'm guilty of it, too, because we've talked about self-care so many times. I can't count here on mom to mom But we're going beyond bubble baths and going for a walk and getting a massage. You've got to do the deeper work if you want to take care of yourself. And that's what our discussion is today. What does real self-care look like? And how can we accomplish that? How can we start doing the work? She says wellness is broken and she's here to help. So here is my conversation, the much needed conversation with Dr. Pooja Lakshman. Dr. Pooja, how are you? I am doing well. It's such a pleasure to be back with you, Maria. I have so much to congratulate you on. You've been very busy since I saw you last. You have a book and you're a new mom. I am. I had a baby last year. My son is now, oh my gosh, almost eight months <gasps> old, which is just now I finally understand, you know, I'm a, I'm a perinatal psychiatrist. So I have been in this world taking care of patients for almost a decade, but now I'm experiencing it myself at age 39. And I totally understand now what everybody says about how time just flies because it's just unreal to me that he's almost eight months. (laughs) It does fly. You get a lot of advice when you're pregnant, you know, and people always, but that was the thing I got all the time is time flies. And now that I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, which is crazy. I think last time we spoke, it was during the pandemic. So it's amazing how, how things change so fast. So how how is it going for you? You know what? It's I've been reflecting on this. It's actually going really well. And I think p- there's two reasons for that. One is because I am a perinatal psychiatrist, I prioritize my health mental health hugely. You know, I, I wrote for the New York Times last year about how I went back on Zoloft because I had a history of depression and anxiety. I kept seeing my therapist regularly. 
I had the resources and privilege to be able to pay for a postpartum doula, a night mm. nurse that could help. So me and my partner could actually get some sleep. All of that really paid off. Um, because I still feel like myself. I feel like a new, a different version of myself. Of course, and, a totally um, different version. And I know and acknowledge I was able to make those choices because I had resources and privilege and, you know, kind of the support, the family support to make it happen. But, you know, I really wish my goal for uh, my career and everything that I'm doing, whether it's Gemma or this my new book that's out, is really to, to give those gifts of... Um, support and advice and permission to all moms out there and future moms too. Which is great. Cause like you, you said it, you know, not everyone has those resources and you're an expert and you know how difficult it can be. So it's wonderful that you're trying to help people out. And that's really what your book is all about. So let's segue right into that. Why did you want to write this book right now? Yes. So the book is called Real Self Care, and our sub subtitle is Crystals, Cleanses, and Bubble Baths Not Included. Thank you. <laughs> um, and this, you know, really, this book stems from about a decade of professional experience and personal experience. And I'll tell you, it all comes from, you know, the patient that comes into my office and says, Dr. Lakshman, I'm not sleeping well, mm -hmm. I'm not eating well. I'm totally burned out and I feel like it's my fault because I have this meditation app on my phone, but I never use it. Yeah. Like that is the problem with self-care, right? The problem is that, you know, in America we have what, like moms have maybe what, like 30 minutes of quote unquote discretionary time a day. And by the time you get to that 30 minutes, all you have oh, the shy. mental energy to do. Yeah. It's to just yeah. doom scroll right? You're just scrolling, yes, right? Yes. The last thing you want to do is like yoga or meditate or any of the stuff that you know is supposed to make you feel better. Yeah. I think what ends up happening when you're in the throes of something like this is like, it's hard to get out of it because you see self-care as just another thing on your to-do list. And then if you don't do it, whether it's meditating or going for a walk or whatever it is, if you don't do it, then you have the guilt, which contributes to how you're feeling in the first place. And it's just this cycle. Exactly. And so with real self-care, what I'm doing is I'm making a distinction between the faux self-care. So those are tools, whether that's a bubble bath, whether that is going for a walk, whether that's going to yoga, those are tools. But what wellness hasn't done yet is given us actual principles, actual perspective in terms of how to make these internal decisions hard decisions about how we spend our time. So I'll give you the perfect example. It's sort of the patient who says, you know, um, I finally got it together to take an afternoon off from work and I went to get myself a massage. And then I spent the whole time, you know, paying $200 for that massage, but I spent the whole time on the table just worrying about my to-do list. Oh my God, and that's, about the fact that's me. That I literally have had panic attacks getting facials. And yes. then sitting there saying, I just spent so much money to sit here and freak out and then think I'm crazy. And then I feel even crazier because I'm like, people enjoy this, Maria. What is wrong with you? Okay, I'm so glad that right. that's normal. <laughs> it's absolutely normal. And the reason that we do that is because you're trying to use this tool, but you haven't mm, yet work. worked through the principles. And the principles of real self-care 
are all internal, right? This is about changing the conversation with yourself. Only once you've done that internal work, can you then actually get the facial, get the massage, do whatever, and actually be able to have it and receive it. So what you're saying, like everything, there are tools, there are quick fixes, but if you want long-term results, just like so much, you've got to put the work in. You've got to dig your heels in and figure out what's really going on. Um, I was scrolling on your Instagram, you know, as one does, and I love what you said about this book being a letter to every woman out there who has flirted with hopping in the car and running away from it all. I was just talking to a friend this week who said, we were talking about Valentine's Day and how many Valentine's Days we've accrued with our husbands. And she's like, you know, most of them have been good years, except for that one year when I wanted to uh, run out of the door in my robe and run off to the circus and leave my whole family. And I was so glad she said that because I think that many of us can relate to that feeling of overwhelm and just wanting to like walk away. Yes. And, and, you know, once you get, we've all gotten to that place, right? I've been there before in my wellness journey. And the, the thing is that running away from it all actually doesn't fix the problem, nope. right? Because we all actually really love the people that we've picked. We love these folks in our lives. And, um, but when you're at that place where the volume of the burnout of the stress of the depression, whatever it is, is so high, is that all you do, you just want relief. But the thing is that that relief actually is just temporary. So real self-care is about taking these principles, taking these practices, and understanding how to make them work in your day-to-day -day life. Hey, I wanna let you know about this amazing initiative that we are doing with supporting our schools. It's our year-round donation and supply drive. We deliver hundreds and thousands of dollars in supplies to schools in need all across New England. Our partners at Donors Choose have identified some specific projects that you can help fund. So please help us out and to learn more, go to nbcboston.com schools. This is one of those buzzwords that gets thrown around so much now. It's like one of those things in the last, probably since the pandemic that we heard, self-care, self-care. But you're here to talk about what that really means. We talked a little bit before the break about what it isn't. It's not a quick fix. Um, you gotta dig in. So let's talk about some of the principles that you were starting to address. Yeah, so real self-care is an internal decision-making process. And there's four principles. There's learning how to set boundaries and deal with guilt. There's talking to yourself with self-compassion. There is getting clear and identifying your values because your values are what guides your decision-making. And then finally, the fourth principle is understanding that this is actually power in the face of our oppressive systems. Hmm. Okay. So where do we begin? <laughs> this is like a lot. So the reason that boundaries and dealing with guilt is the first principle is because that's the hardest. And I will say in my clinical practice as a psychiatrist, where I work with moms primarily, the guilt piece is the one that is always there. And I know Maria, you just mentioned that earlier. Um, I like to think about guilt as a faulty check engine light. It is always there no matter what choice you make, but it doesn't actually give us any meaningful information. And especially for moms in America, we feel guilt 
because it's coming from these external oppressive systems, whether that is patriarchy, whether that is racism, right? It's coming from the outside. You don't need to let guilt be your compass. Interesting that you say that, because that was going to be my follow-up is, are we, you know, wired to feel guilty? Is this something that happens once we have kids that our, our wiring gets mixed up and we feel guilty about everything? But you're saying that it actually comes from these oppressive systems. It's an external thing that's being put on us. And if we think about it that way, it feels like something that's uh, more fixable. Exactly, exactly. It is something that is on the outside through our culture, through our society, through all of these norms that have been modeled for us. And then we internalize it. We make ourselves the bad guy. We think that it's our fault. And so if you remember when you start to notice that mom guilt in particular coming up, if you can say to yourself, wait, this isn't me, this isn't mine. I don't need to let this guilt dictate every decision that I make. That's really powerful because that reminds you that you're not the one who's to blame here. And I think boundaries tie in very well to this concept too, because I think one of the reasons we have trouble saying no and creating boundaries is because we feel guilty then for saying no and creating boundaries. <laughs> it's all yeah. this cycle once again. But boundaries I think are probably probably just so, so important to keeping yourself sane. Yes, I tell a story in the book of when I first came on the faculty at George Washington University and my mentor took me out to lunch and told me that her secret was that I didn't need to answer my phone anymore, which was shocking to me as a, as a physician at that time. But her advice was like, no, you can just listen to what the person wants over voicemail and then you can respond. So your boundary is in the pause and that. then after you've paused, then you have a choice. You can say yes, you can say no, you can negotiate. Yes, I actually do that all the time. <laughs> and I didn't do it as a boundary. I kind of do it as a like feeling it out so I know how to react. I was like, what am I working with here? I want to know. But um, I like that because you're sort of giving me permission that it's, it's not something I'm doing that's like naughty. This is protecting myself from who knows what. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we say negotiate too, so often we think of that in terms of like work or business, when in reality, we're constantly negotiating in our relationships. Absolutely. So we talked about, you know, having to dig in and do the real work. Like, like you say in your book, it's not about like crystals and bathtubs and all that. Oh, that's great. It's kind of like a quick fix, but we need to kind of work on ourselves. So I think everyone in the world should be able to have a therapist. I wish that everybody could do that. Not everybody can. Um, if someone is in a position where they can start to look for a therapist and maybe start working with them, where do you begin with this kind of work? Yeah, so um, when you're first coming to therapy, you know, usually folks are coming in in some type with some type of problem or even maybe crisis, right? And for women in particular, that usually ends up in your relationships, whether that is something that's going on with your partner, whether that's going on with something that's happening at work. And so therapy is a space that you can really bring whatever interpersonal issue is going on and then work through these different steps of real self-care. Yeah, if you're going in 
and you're at a healthy state of mind, but you have a, you know, you're able to have a therapist and they say, okay, so what brings you here? And I mean, obviously we all have work to do on ourselves. So where do you suggest you begin, begin then? If there's not like a specific thing, but you want to do better, you know that like life is overwhelming and, and you could be a better human. Yeah, I think you could say exactly what you just said, Maria. Okay. I'll write that down. <laughs> <laughs> the first time that I went to therapy, actually, as a medical student, my kind of chief complaint was that I didn't know how to have hobbies. Hmm. I didn't know what to do if I wasn't studying. Interesting. And then it probably just goes from there, right? And you start to dig deeper. Yes. You uncover, right? Because there'll be that one thing, but then you find out that it's related. It's related to, you know, not being able to set boundaries. It's related to needing to learn how to give yourself compassion to not be studying all the time, right? Needing to identify what actually do I value? What makes me light up? What gives me energy, right? And finding those activities. And it's it's one of the things that I say in real self-care again is that this isn't like a one-week fix, this is really a journey, right? Like this is something that for, really can take years, especially if you're a mom or a woman who, you know, goes through the different seasons of your life. In each season, there's going to be um, a shift in your values and your priorities, and you'll have to relearn. How do you help your patients find their values? How to identify them? Because I feel like um, it's not something that would just be off the tip top of your head. Totally. So one of the exercises in the book is um, I ask the reader to think about how you would plan a birthday party for yourself if you only had $200. Hmm. So if you only had $200, you know, would it be a potluck? Would it be outside? Would you ask people to dress up? And everybody's $200 birthday party is going to look totally different. So my strategy when we're talking about values is kind of doing these mental exercises that seem a little bit silly, but it's sort of like an indirect way for you to get to know, oh, hey, wait, I'm I'm somebody who is kind of silly. I want, I want everybody to dress up in like an animal costume and that's really fun for me. Or like, no, I actually think it'd be really cool if everybody made their favorite dish from somewhere they traveled in the world, wow. right? And with those decisions, then you come to know like, what do I actually really care about? I love a party. This exercise just got me very, very excited. <laughs> like, if that's what therapy is, then sign me up because I think that's a real, I mean, we can all think about that though, right? Everyone at home can think about what that might be and, and that we can help identify our values in that way. Hey, have you subscribed for the Hubbub newsletter yet? It is full of recipes, behind the scenes scoop, exclusive content that you're not gonna see anywhere else, not even on the show. So go to NBCBoston.com slash newsletter, drop your email, and you'll receive our newsletter every Wednesday. I wanna talk about Gemma, the new platform that you've created for women. It is amazing. Yeah. So Gemma is a physician-led women's mental health community focused on equity and impact. And I co-founded Gemma with my two psychiatrist colleagues, Dr. Callie Cyrus and Dr. Lucy Hutner. And what we're doing is, is actually um, really different. So we are building the masterclass of women's mental health. It's not treatment. It's not therapy. It's actually a place for where you can have 
facilitated conversations. So we have WhatsApp threads that you can join. One of them is called mom bombing. So that's all about just all the postpartum stuff that's Mm. going on. And then we have small bite-sized classes that you can take because we also know that it's so hard to find time of when are you supposed to actually do the learning. Um, So we're kind of taking a really different approach to what we're building. I love that, especially the chat, because I feel like sometimes just letting it out. And I guess that's why journaling is great too, but it's really nice to have a group chat with like-minded people where you can just dump some of your thoughts. Um, like we were saying earlier, how you, one of your, your patients, you know, freaks out when they get a massage and I'm like, I freak out when I get a facial. I'm so glad that I'm normal, that I'm not the only one experiencing this because then that contributes to all the anxiety that we're already feeling. So that's amazing. How long have you been, how long have you been doing this platform? So I founded Gemma in 2020, actually during the pandemic. You've been very um, busy. And um, and Lucy and Callie just came on last year. And so we're really kind of bringing it out into the world in a bigger way. We have a beta membership now that's only $5 a month. And I really see it as like you were saying, Maria, like it's a space off of social media, right? Because there's something that social media pers- provides, but social media doesn't have the facilitation, which with actual experts, whereas with Gemma, you're inside a community of other women and folks who identify as women who are wanting to invest in their emotional health. And then it's actually also moderated and facilitated. This is great. I have to just thank you for all the hard work that you're putting in for women and for moms out there. And the fact that you are a new mom yourself, that is quite the feat. So it was so nice catching up with you. Thank you for your time today. You'll have to come back. Don't wait so long this time. (laughs) Absolutely, Maria. It was a total pleasure. And I will just say, you know, you always write the book that you need to read, right? So that's what I did. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Mom to Mom, the podcast. Thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Pooja. It was so great to see her again. Um, It's been several years, and now she's a new mom, and it was great to see all of her accomplishments. So I hope you all got as much out of the conversation as I did. What I learned is a lot of these things we're doing that for self-help are just kind of Band-Aids, and we need to, to do the harder work like anything, right? Nothing comes easy. And just a reminder that we've got an entire library of mom-to-mom conversations throughout the years, um, wherever you find your podcast. So if you're going for a walk or you're in the car, it's a great way to to spend some time with us. And if you're in the New England area, you can watch Mom to Mom, the television show. This podcast is on air uh, at 1130 a.m. on Mondays on NBC 10 Boston. All right, everybody, thank you so much for being here today. I'll see you next week on Mom to Mom.